All right, welcome in, everybody. Another episode, Bleeding Claret and Cobalt. Your host, Trey Fitzgerald, here alongside producer Ryan Hale. Our guest today is Spencer Checkett. Some of you may know him as a radio personality or a podcast host here based in Salt Lake City. Others of you may remember him as a former Real Salt Lake staffer from the early days of the club, which was founded and owned from 2004 until 2013 by Spencer's father, Dave Checkett. So we get into a lot of those topics um, as Spencer and myself and Brian Dunseth have been hosting a comprehensive history of Real Salt Lake podcast on Spence's channel, which is called Reality Check. Uh, we talk a little bit about the early days. We talk a lot of philosophically about podcasts, radio, social media, cancel culture, um, how people consume information, how that information breaks through the clutter. But as we explore kind of these big picture topics, we really do it through a Real Salt Lake lens, a Claret and Cobalt lens, if you will. And, um, you know, Spencer's a guy that, that was deeply involved in the club from 2005 until 2011, then he uh, became a, a Utah Jazz pre-post halftime host, alongside a uh, along with being a, a daily radio personality uh, for 1280 The Zone. So it's kind of fascinating to hear his perspective uh, change, not only through the ownership shift, but also from his daily workflow standpoint. And uh, I think he's got some really great comments, perspectives, uh, insights on where the club, Real Salt Lake, sits in Salt Lake City's sports landscape and Utah sports landscape. And we also get into a little bit of uh, kind of where Utah and its various fan bases sit um, on a national scale. So, uh, Ryan, what were your thoughts? I don't I don't know how much you knew Spence Checkett's because your paths at the club did not cross, but obviously you knew who he was and, and a radio personality. But what are your impressions of, of kind of the things he's trying to do in and around uh, not just RSL, but just uh, the sports media landscape here in Utah? As a soccer fan in Utah, you could count on Spence to at least talk about the things that are happening in the soccer world where a lot of the other outlets and you know personalities kind of ignore what's happening at Rio Tinto Stadium, you know? So I've always appreciated that. Um, I do have, I may not be the one who's like hurling out the, you know, the the heat at him on Twitter or yeah. anything like that, but I've, you know, his takes and my takes align every once in a while, not all the time. So, <laughs> right. but I appreciate that. I think that, that having someone who can, you know, tell it like it is and not try and yeah. sugarcoat things for this fan base, I think we're, we appreciate that. So. Well, and what I appreciate listening to him, and again, I'm, you know, I, I've known him for a long time, so maybe I, I listen maybe slightly differently. But Spencer will allow people who have difference of opinions with him to he allows the conversation and he's willing to change his mind. You know, and that's he doesn't dig his heels in and, and fire off hot takes and, and then close his eyes or turn off the mic. You know, it's it's very much a conversation. And, and we talk about that a little bit here uh, today is you know, engaging on a human level, exploring kind of the humanity 
um, that I think often gets lost in a sports talk radio landscape, in a social media landscape, and and certainly in a sports fandom uh, tribalism landscape. So, coming up next after the break, bleeding Claret and Cobalt goes in depth with Spencer Checkett. Welcome back in. Bleeding Claret and Cobalt, Trey Fitzgerald, Ryan Hale here and honored to be joined today by the one, the only Spencer Checkets. Spence, I don't know if you know this. I've tweeted it. I don't know if I've said it to you directly. This podcast would not exist without the inspiration that you provided in terms of your podcast and some of your content over the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years that you've been on the mic. No, I, I appreciate that. That's nice of you to say. You know, it's funny. Sometimes the best ideas just pop up randomly. And I didn't know that you were coming back into town. But when you did, I'm like, well, let's go golf. Yeah. And as a result of our conversation, I'm like, people need to hear these conversations. Yeah. That's all it was. It wasn't some premeditated thing. <laughs> I mean, I, I've always had an idea, and I know you have too, <clears throat> excuse me, and Dunny as well, to write a book or something yep. about the founding of the club, the history of the club. But when I realized you were going to be back on the ground and you and I were just kind of chopping it up, I'm like, well, let's just do it in podcast form. So it's been fun to have that project on the other side. And I'm glad it's allowed you to find some motivation to do this. More RSL content is always good. Yeah. And and look, the the comprehensive history of Rail Salt Lake, which you can find on Spencer's uh, Reality Check uh, podcast channel. Yep. And, then, uh, and then obviously your daily at ESPN 700 is the place to go for RSL content. That's and, nice. Um, I appreciate that. And, you know, I, I believe uh, wholeheartedly in my four months back uh, that you are the preeminent media voice in this marketplace. And I learn so much from you every day, not just about the jazz, who I'm suddenly kind of a fan now. You know, it's, it's best nice record to, in the NBA, it's baby. nice to have a successful uh, basketball team yep. in your backyard. But um, the pods that you've done with, uh, two pretty good friends of mine in Chris Camrani and Amy Donaldson, especially over the last, you know, four, five, six months where there's politics, there's COVID, uh, there's social media toxicity, there's changing waves in journalism. And these are some of the things I want to get into us today, but with maybe an RSL sure, lens. Sure, sure. So, yeah. I'll follow your um, lead, pal. Well, I just, uh, you know, I love the way, whether it's on your daily or on your pods, the way you really find a different note in how we explore the humanity behind sports and whether that's through all your, I mean, you have the best guests of any sports talk radio uh, that I've been around. But before we get to that, I want to just kind of hear your views on how you kind of got to where you are now Mm -hmm. in terms of balancing. And we were just talking about this off the air, you know, podcasting and the daily and just your philosophy in terms of storytelling. It's a good question. Um, I come from a long line of storytellers. You happen to know one of them very well. Yep. who's my father. His father um, was a master at, at telling stories. I mean, you know, we, we hear the term master class all the time yeah. now. Uh, my grandpa, Checkets, my father's father, was this caricature. It's kind of hard to explain what he was <laughs> like. He used to read me the... Um, the Brer, uh, Brer Fox, yeah. uh, you know, you know the uh, Splash Mountain ride at, at Disney World yeah. uh, actually was a book back in the day. And my grandpa would read it to me and he would use a voice for every character. Okay. So it was like I was listening to a cartoon on tape. But it was my grandfather telling me stories. And I think I kind of inherited that. And um, 
You know, I never had any premonition, I think you know this, of being a part of the media because of the way I saw the media in New York treat my father sure. growing up. Yeah, of course. Um, I can remember when the whole Phil Jackson, Jeff Van Gundy stuff went down when Jeff was the coach. And it's kind of a funny little anecdote. I was home from the University of Utah. I was back east visiting my parents and, you know, uh, 18, 19 years old, sleeping in as much as I could, you yeah. know. So I come walking down the stairs one afternoon. It's about noon or one. I'm in my boxers and a t-shirt and I walk in the front room and Phil Jackson's sitting there. And I was like, hello, hello, hello Mr. Jackson. I think that's what I said. And I walked into the kitchen. I'm like, mom, why is Phil Jackson here? So it turns out that my father was interviewing Phil to see if he wanted to coach the Knicks long-term because at the time, no one knew if Jeff Van Gundy was the long-term answer. Um, so as a result of that, um, my father took a lot of heat because he was interviewing Phil while Jeff was the coach. Yeah. And on the post, the headline was, Mormon Tabernacle Liar. Wow. Yeah, and this was a Pete Vesey column. And so I go to school, um, you know, go back to school, and everyone's asked me about this, this thing and how poorly my father was treated. Now, should he have interviewed Phil while Jeff was the coach? That's a different conversation. But they eviscerated him. This was before the internet, by the way. This yeah. was back in How did it get out? One of Phil's people leaked it? Mike Wise got it. Okay. And so Mike Wise actually told the story on my show about a year ago for the first time. So I, I kind of always knew that it was Mike. And so before he came on a couple months ago, I said, hey, can you tell the Phil Jackson story, how you got that info? And he, he paused and then he said, you know what? It's been long enough. Sure. <laughs> so an agent tipped Mike Wise off that Phil was actually at the house and my father was interviewing him. And so Mike Wise got it. You know, he was with the Times, uh, yeah. New York Times at the time. And then Vessi got it. And, but, and you know, the New York Post is basically a tabloid. But anyway, uh, the internet was not a thing. Social media was not a thing. But you know, I can even think back to high school where I'd walk in and our, our lunchtime supervisor was also the JV basketball coach. And he always had every New York paper and uh, check it. How's your, how's your dad going to mess it up this week or whatever? <laughs> and so I always had an innate hatred of the media, Sure, but I'm a big believer that eventually you get pushed to where your strengths are. And, um, you know, when I was 25 years old, this is a long story. We don't have to get into the backstory, but uh, Utah became my home by default. It wasn't really a choice. I was married with a young son and um, the marriage didn't work out. And my wife wanted to stay in Bountiful where she was from. And yeah. so I was heading back east. I, and, and quite frankly, with no plan to come back out west, I, that was going to be my home. My family, as you know, is still out there. Yep. And so I took a job with KFAN under the Citadel umbrella, selling advertising and being in charge of some of the marketing. And it was okay. I don't love sales. I, I, you know, it's always where the money is, but long, very long story short, I became friendly with some of the radio producers over there, started helping them getting, you know, get some guests. And Ben Bagley was the first one who said, you know what? You've got a good presence. You've got a good voice. Come on my Saturday show. And from there, I just started doing weekend radio for free. Um, the station was kind of in flux at the time. Jeff Austin was the program yeah. director and uh, he liked my style. So he moved me to middays and then he moved me to afternoons. So within a two months, I went wow. from weekend Saturday shows for free. I still wasn't being paid, but because there was such a crazy time at the station, I was doing afternoon drive and hosting all their jazz pre-f and posts. Um, and I really enjoyed it. it. It For the first time in my life, I felt like I was doing something for a living that I really liked, even though the money wasn't great. And ultimately, when the soccer team came here, you were the one that had the idea for a pre-half and post-game show on the radio. And if I remember correctly, back in 2005, no other MLS teams had one. No. And so you said, hey, you have radio experience. Why don't you host it for us? And that led to my tenure at Call, ESPN 700. And that ultimately led 
me into radio full time. But as far as the storytelling, I honestly think it's genetic. Father, grandfather, yeah. and I think I've kind of inherited some of it. It's funny because I knew Mike Wise from my time at the league because sure. he'd occasionally do columns and he was friends with Commissioner Garber. Mm-hmm. And then you you bring up Peter Vesey, Peter's brother George, who was a longtime columnist as well for the Times, big soccer guy. Yeah. I don't know if there's two siblings in the history of the world other than maybe me and my sister mm-hmm. that are more different as George and Peter Vesey. And just to be clear, your sister would be the George. You would be the Peter. No, no your sister is I'm a, a kinder, gentler. Come on, man. <laughs> no, I don't know her as well, but but no. Um, we just have completely like 180 degree uh, vantage points of our childhood, which is amazing. Interesting. We we grew up eight feet from each other. We went to the same schools. Like, And I want to explore it. And she wants nothing to do with with um, these conversations anyway. Interesting. But the Vessies and, and the Wise, like that New York media, people think, I don't know, Gordon Monson is toxic out here yeah. or Woody Page is toxic right, right. in Denver. Those guys are nothing compared to what's in major metro areas. Well, and, you, and you'll be able to help me with this. At one point, and I always bring this up on air because out here we have pretty much two daily periodicals. And right. sometimes I say one and a half because the D News can get this propagandish type feel and whatever. It's their business model and they're owned by the Thankfully church. Thankfully for us, the sports is actually the only, I think the only place in that paper that has maintained yeah. journalistic integrity. Yeah. And to their credit, you know, they hired Eric Walden, who was an African-American yep. male. And now Eric is with ESPN and their new jazz beat writer, Sarah Todd, who's a female who covers the NBA. So good for the Deseret News to look out of the middle-aged white guy, you know, uh, you know, box that we can get into here. But at last check in New York, I think there are 13 daily periodicals. Wow. Um, and so it's just a different beast. And when I, I know people out here hate it when I say that because people out here love Salt Lake and don't want to give anyone any credit and probably think, as Scott Woodbury called you, the devil from New York. They don't want to <laughs> talk about folks from back east. But it's a different level of pressure. So I suppose it's a long way uh, yeah. of, of me saying I, I never wanted to be part of the media because I didn't like the way they treated my father. Um, but when I got into radio full time, it just felt like a, a, a pair of shoes that you put on that fit. And it's been 16 years, man. This is wow. my 16th year um, covering sports in Utah full time on the radio. And and RSL is going into its 17th season. Yep. I remember when I first got on the ground here, October of 2004, I was astonished, actually, that there were three full-time sports talk radio stations in a market of this size. I later found out it was because it was an FCC test market. So all these signals on both AM and FM end up getting approved, I think, in the 60s. And so this is a culmination of that, of right. having KFAN, uh, The Zone, which you know has had a few different signals, and then 700, which was K-A-L-L, and yep. now is just ESPN 700. Yeah, they, we're not big enough for three stations. That's crazy. I, I, I think if if you read the tea leaves a little bit, I still believe we have to be a market that's under consideration for a baseball team at some point. Yeah. And I think it can work. I, I really think this will never happen. And uh, you never say never, but I think if we had an NFL team, I think folks would be surprised at how much support it would receive. Um, we're not on the short list, and I don't think the NFL is trying to expand, but we only have one big-time major team. And look, I love RSL, sure. but it's a bit of a niche, and we're a jazz market. Yeah. We're an NBA market. Well, soccer's and, still growing. Yeah, and, and we'll continue to. And I think the results are in that it's not going anywhere. But I'm a child of the NBA, and so this market works for me. I mean, I've, you know, you know, we can talk about the podcasting thing to make that pivot, as you brought up. You know, Obviously, the story is well-known. I had some personal issues, and that led to 
the dissolution of my job at The Zone. And so for about a year and a half, I had to find something else to do. Um, you know, it, it was odd because at the time I thought, you know, I could do other things. I've, I have experience in arena management, marketing, sales. I can yeah. do other things. But I really wanted to find a way to get back on the radio. And so I didn't stop climbing. I didn't stop climbing. But the solution is, and this is a lesson for anyone out there that wants to get into this business, uh, right now is a great time because you don't have to wait for somebody to tell you what to do. You can go do it yourself. Right. And so I partnered with a company in Los Angeles called Alternate Thursdays, uh, a guy named Vic Singh who is really, really bright. I think he has a great future in this business to start a podcast. And that's where I started Reality Check. Okay. And so I was in the podcast space only for about a year and a half. Um, I, I had some pretty serious conversations with a station in Atlanta about taking over their morning show. Um, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to move. I have a, a new wife now and a young wife who's from Utah and her family's here. And my son, who's on a mission, is going to come back and go to the University of Utah. So where's his mission? He's in Orlando. Oh, okay. he is in Orlando. I don't know if you've seen the play Book of Mormon, but the song uh, Orlando about the, <laughs> you know, every LDS kid wants to go to Orlando because they think they're going to Disney World. Uh, and when Connor opened his mission call and said Orlando, Florida, all of his little cousins said, Connor, you're going to Disney World. And I said, no, he's going to Central Florida. There's a, there's a big difference there. But when he comes back, he's going to be at the U. And so um, moving was kind of a tough ask. And then after a year, year and a half, that's when the opportunity to come back to ESPN 700 uh, took shape. I have to give a ton of credit to Kayvon Moti. He's, yeah. he he's the one that believed in me, gave me the opportunity. Deloy owns the station. So I, I, I owe Deloy a, a big thank you as well. But when I came back to the space, I told Kayvon, I said, look, the business is going digital. The business is going to podcasting. It has been for a while. So my goal is to see if we can bring the podcast space on live radio. Yeah. So I'm not going to get married to your clock. I'm sorry if that's a problem for you. But if I have a good conversation going, I'm not going to cut it off because we have to go to break. I'm going to let it bleed. And if the next segment is me coming back in and saying, hey, uh, sorry, we were long. Uh, if you missed that conversation with Jeff Van Gundy or whoever it is, right. go to the website, go to the pod page, download it, because it was about 30 minutes, which isn't something that most radio hosts do. So that's why you know it is kind of a hybrid. Uh, and we were talking, we were talking with Ryan and you, yeah. you know, before I started this. And a lot of people say, "Hey, you're a little too podcasty on your daily show." <laughs> and then I get, "Hey, you're too daily on your podcast." So I don't know. Uh, it's, I'm just trying stuff, you know, and we'll see what sticks. Well, and I, I couldn't put my finger on it because I'm just kind of dipping my toe here, but it's listenable. And, and the storytelling is compelling. And, and look, RSL is still a relatively big fish in a small pond here. Yep. Yes, w this will always be a jazz town, first and foremost. First and foremost, Utes and Cougars have inherent advantages because of the way uh, college loyalties work. Yep. But um, I guess one of the things I wanted to kind of pick your brain at is how how did that year and a half, I guess, of doing podcasts only shape your voice? And how is what you do now on ESPN 700 maybe different than what you and Monson were doing over at 1280? First of all, I, I want to give Gordon a ton of credit. A lot of what I learned from about radio, I learned from Gordon. And one of the things he always said was, if you fracture your audience, if you're polarizing mm. to 50% of the people, you're doing, the, you're doing it right. Right. So we always said, you want about 50% of the people to love you, 50% of the people to hate you. Sometimes I feel like I might be 25% like me, 75% hate me. I may have gone too far yeah. in one direction, but I learned a lot from Gordon. He's still a dear friend. I talked to him just last week. He had a birthday. So, um, I, you know, when Kayvon said, you're going to have four hours by yourself, 
I said, wait, <laughs> you want me to host a four-hour radio show without a co-host? Trey, you can look across the country. Nobody does this. Yeah. In, uh, in almost any medium, let alone sports. In fact, quick anecdote, J.P. Chunga, our sure. guy who we golf yeah. with, was my first producer uh, when I came back to 700. Yeah. And we met at Campos one day. I'd never met J.P. I didn't know much about him. Um, and the first thing J.P. said to me when he sat down, he had his notebook, you know, J.P. Syracuse yeah. grad, Newhouse, did journalism school. Former RSL intern. And he's a pro. J.P.'s yeah, a real talent, man. And I think uh, there are a lot of things he's going to do in this market that'll be great. In fact, quick shout out, go listen to his podcast, uh, Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. But the first thing J.P. said to me, he said, have you ever hosted a four-hour radio <laughs> show by yourself? Because remember, J.P. classically trained at one of the best yeah. journalism schools in the country. He knows that nobody does what I was asked to do. As it, as it was, I needed a chance to get back on air and prove myself. We're coming up on two years, and I'm really proud of what we built. Um, but, but because the space is so big for one host, what I told Kayvon is I said, I'm going to bring a podcast feel onto the radio space. And what I found out during the podcast is that people really do love intimate conversations that intertwine great stories, like you said, mm -hmm. as opposed to, hey, coming up next, we're going to break down uh, Utah USC basketball tonight. Stay tuned and mm -hmm. then read a bunch of stats, right? No, if we're going to talk Utah basketball, I'll bring Britton Johnson on and let's talk about Majerus's team from 97 that almost won the national championship. Let's talk Andre Miller, Keith Van Horn, Mike Doliak. Let's have a conversation that people are interested in. And then at the end, we'll say, oh, by the way, Utah, USC tonight, who you got and why. We'll, 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 we'll cover what needs to be covered, but in the space of extended conversation, as long as it's interesting. Because I also will cut conversation short if I'm not into it. So the year and a half podcast space, first of all, it helped me learn how to make podcasts. Right. It helped me learn how to market podcasts. And it helped me learn the space. And so as we move forward over at 700, I have a lot of ideas on the digital side that I do want to implement. And so again, it is kind of a hybrid. And I would say the year and a half taught me that people really do love stories, even if they're anecdotal. And so that's what we try to do on the space. And I guess that leads us a little bit to, and we, and we talk about this around the edges on the comprehensive history of Real Salt Lake. Yep. But when you left the club, which was what, right around 2011? 2011, yep. Um. And I know you were you were hyper focused on jazz. You were doing pre half and post. You were putting in long days during a long NBA season during your time there. Um, and I and we get into this too. And and I love getting in a room with you and me and Dunny because we it's all fun. have we all have different memories as we've talked about yep. different perspectives. I mean, you remember things that I kind of remember when you remind me of them, but yeah, I yeah. never would have gotten there. But anyway, what kind of what is your 30,000 foot view of RSL during that time uh, when you were away? It's, it's a great question because as we traverse over into the space on the comprehensive history on Reality Check into the post-Jason Christ era with Jeff Kassar and yeah. the post-Garth Lagerwey era with Craig Weibel, and we're going to release episode, we're going to record episode six next week with me, you, and Dunny. Yep. It's going to be more of me asking questions as opposed to participating because honestly, um, at the time, there was a feeling that Deloitte was going to probably take the reins. It wasn't done at all. Yeah. That, that was another, I think, almost full year. But it's funny, like, real quick, a, a lot of people, when I went over to the Jazz, people asked me about Deloitte. I was like, I don't know. I mean, I haven't really worked with him at all. I, yeah. he's, he, he's a, he was a joint owner with my father at the time and had been for a few years, but I didn't have much experience with him. 
And then when I went over there, combined with when the sale went down and Deloitte took over as the primary, sure. I kind of just stopped watching yeah. in a way because my heart broke. I mean, I'll yeah. tell you, one of, the, um, one of the hardest conversations I've had in my entire life is at the time telling my eight-year-old son that grandpa sold Real Salt Lake because Connor grew up in that stadium. I mean, the yeah. first eight years of his life, every picture I have of his birthday party is at Rio Tinto. It's with his little friends with birthday cake and he loved the dessert card. And, and I was a single father at the time. Yeah. And that's hard, you know, especially in the state of Utah where we don't have to get into that. But it was difficult for me um, to go from bathing my son every night to seeing him once a week. And so he would look forward to weekends with dad where Saturday night we go to the stadium and yeah. we, watch, we watch soccer. And he loved Nick and Kyle. And we have a framed picture of him holding Kyle's hand, walking out nice. during the anthem yeah. stuff where we did that with the kids in the community. And um, I can remember talking to him because when my dad told me, Deloitte's going to take over the club. And said, so are you out entirely? He said, yeah, it's the right thing to do. It's the only, the only thing to do. Yeah, yeah. A, a different conversation too, but- I can remember going to pick up my son and just tears flowing down my face. Like, how am I going to tell him? Because his heart's going to break. And he still doesn't like to talk about it. Wow. You know, and, and he is now, he's going to turn 20 coming up this fall. Um, so, so there was a lot of hurt. There was a lot, not anger. There was just a lot of hurt, a lot sure. of sadness. And we talked about in, in episode five of the RSL hist historical pod, the press conference where my father spoke. And then when my mom got up. Yeah. And when I heard her talk about, using the analogy of a child. This is our baby. And Deloitte, we're handing it over to you. I mean, I was in stitches, sure. you know? And, and so there was, there was a lot of sadness. I mean, there still is a lot of pride mm. that my father had that idea and made it work and built the stadium and built the team that people love. But I disconnected. I didn't watch any games. Like, here's, here's something that will kind of crack you up a little bit. I have no frame of reference for Sporting KC being a rival. None. <laughs> Zero. Right. I think Colorado, Seattle, L.A., Right. Yeah, no, yeah. no. I didn't watch uh, the MLS Cup final that when RSL almost beat uh, KC. Yep. Um, and so I just turned my attention into building the big show as much as I possibly yep. could and then all in on the jazz. Because while those hours were long and while those days were long, that got me to my Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour. Sure. You know, I, and that's the way I view this daily that I do now. It's yeah. four hours every day. Nobody yeah. does it, but I'm banking these hours. You, you know what I mean? And, Musicians will tell you that, um, like I'm listening to this singer-songwriter named Charlie Cunningham right now. He's awesome. Check him out if you'd like. And I watched this mini documentary where he said he was playing guitar at pubs around Manchester and didn't feel like he had the right to ask for money uh, for his music because he didn't feel like putting the hours. So he took all the money he had. He moved to the south of Spain and learned this beautiful like flamingo guitar style okay. by locking, him in, locking himself in his apartment and playing his guitar for eight to 10 hours a day. Wow. And he said, once I got my hours banked, then I felt like I could ask for money for my music. It's the same thing in everything you do. Everything in life, it's about reps and consistency. So my head was down. I was focused on the zone. I was focused on the big show. Yeah. I was focused on the jazz. And we had a great show. I'm proud of what we built. Um, but honestly, my 30,000 foot view of RSL was... My friends were having a tough time over there. Yeah. You know, I would talk to Johnny Kimball. I, I would talk to you. I, I would talk to Matt Rader. I would talk to Kyle Beckerman and Nick Romando, everyone that I knew. And the feedback was, we miss your dad. We, we missed the time that a lot of people called Camelot, you yeah, know? Sure. So that was the feedback I received. Now, in fairness to everything that was going on, it's not like anybody was going to call me and say, Deloitte is a much better owner than your father. 
right? They were going to tell me what they would think that I would want to hear. Right. So my 30,000 foot view was there was a lot of dysfunction that needed to change. And that's why I think this pivot could be a good thing. Yeah. And look, I, and I'm biased, right? I love this club dearly. Utah is now my home after having never been here until your dad said, Hey, why don't you leave New York and come to Utah? But the vision and inspiration of your, of your dad for what RSL could mean in this community and what Utah could mean to the sport in this continent, yeah. I think still bleed through everything, even though he's been gone. Um, 10 years coming yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, almost. And, and look, as we've talked about on the other pod, you know, Deloitte was able to take a lot of that foundation that was built. And, you know, this club has gone through extraordinary growth in the last five years with adding a, a second team, as as Luke Mulholland refers to it, essentially a U23 team going forward. Um, you know, building the Harriman facility, moving the academy from Arizona to Utah, which was something, you know, Garth Lagerway was the one, like, we need an academy. Arizona has the population mass. That's where we need to put our foot down. And, you know, everything evolves. The speed by which RSL has evolved, the sport in this country has evolved. Again, 27 teams this year, three more new stadiums um, coming out of COVID. You know, knock on wood, we're able to actually go to games this year and and get everybody can get vaccinated. Maybe the world gets back a little bit to normal. But on top of all that, I I guess what I want to get in with you because I I really think you're on the leading edge of all this, is how people consume media. Because Mm -hmm. I'm a storyteller, even, you know, despite all my different marketing or PR media jobs. My job has always been, hey, connect people to the sport through the media. Um, I love anecdotes, right? I love, you know, what makes everybody tick? Everybody's got a great story. Everybody's the star of their own story. But you know, and I'm a writer by nature. I guess. And that's always been where you've excelled. By yeah, the way, thank so. you. I mean, English major, history buff, whatever. Yeah. Um, and when I got back to town, I'm like, what can I do to remind people about the heart and soul of this club? Because yeah. obviously 2020 was just a rough year. And my departure from the club two and a half years ago was similar to yours. I was heartbroken. Yeah. But I had to do it. Like it was literally, I've, I think I've described it to you and a couple other people as the hardest thing I've ever had to do, but absolutely necessary. So yep. anyway, as I come back, I'm like, you know, could I start a blog? Sure. Right. I love to write. I love to research. I love, I'm a stack geek, but I, I love telling stories too. And then I'm like, no, let's, let's do a podcast. And I ring up Ryan Hale. But again, it was, it was definitely inspired by my conversations with you, my conversations with some of the other fans that are like, we don't know what's going on. We yeah. need to engage. We love the club. There's so much uncertainty, and 2020 just kind of ended under such a dark cloud. Yeah. So, um, as you know, I'm a Twitter addict. And, you are and, big time, and I'm fascinated by and I, like I respect your thinking in terms of you. You spend a lot of time on Twitter yep. during Jazz pre half and post, yep. and and maybe during the big show. But you've been able to kind of recognize the toxicity and the uselessness of Twitter while still understanding that it has a, a means of getting certain things out there. Sure, so yeah. that's a long-winded way of, of me wanting to kind of get your thoughts on how people now consume information and why why podcasting and, as you said earlier, digital 
are the way forward for all types of fan bases and consumers? Well, the number one reason is you can listen to whatever you want to listen to whenever you want to listen to right. it. And the reason I put it in that context is you would be amazed at the vitriol I get on my daily if I'm not talking about what people want me to talk about all the time. You know, my, my wife tells this story, which is kind of funny. When I first got back onto ESPN 700, she didn't have any frame of reference with me, even on the big show, let alone way back with, right. you know, the, my first stint at 700. So she was really excited to get the feedback. And I said to her, I said, honey, don't read this stuff. Just trust me. These, <laughs> these people are horrible. So the, the first couple of months on the show, she actually has some, have some, screen, she has some screen grabs excuse me, of uh, jazz fans mad that I'm not talking basketball, BYU fans mad at me because I promised I would talk about them on ESPN 700, and Ute fans saying this is where we get Ute stuff, so don't talk about yeah. jazz or BYU. Yeah. And then a couple with RSL fans like, hey, I thought we'd get some soccer with you back on the <laughs> on the show. All four of our major properties in state, I had fans from each of them mad at me that I wasn't talking about them. So the way the reason I use that frame of reference is, for instance, we'll use my daily podcast because, excuse me, my daily show, which is also a podcast. If you have a smartphone, you have access to my podcast. So if you get in your car and you're driving home, pull up the podcast and then you see Oh, he, he interviewed Mark Harlan. I want to talk Utah. Oh, he had yeah. Mark Pope on. I want to hear BYU hoops. Yeah. He had Van Gundy on. Let's hear some NBA. Oh, he and Trey chopped it up about RSL. There's my RSL info. That's the thing. The content is at your fingertips, so you control what you, consu- what right. you consume. So if you don't like what I'm talking about, the days of getting in your car and turning on AM 700, they're starting to dwindle. Yeah. For instance, my little brothers, who you all know, and my wife and her friends, a few months back, I sent out an email. I said, I have one question for all of you. Please respond. How many of you get in your car and turn on AM radio or FM radio yeah. to find a talk show you want to listen to? Out of, I think I got up to 54 responses. All of them said, no, we don't do that. Yeah. Not one of them get in there. So what they do is they pull out their phone and fire up their favorite podcast. And I'm talking about people that are four, five, six years younger than I am, mm-hmm. not 10, 15 years younger than I am. So- right. While there still is a home for guys like you and I that are middle-aged dudes that get in because I'll get in my car and I'll turn on 700 to see what's going on or 1280 to see, you know, what my old friends are up to. But now that I'm in the habit of listening to pods, I don't do that very much at all. 99, like on the way out here, I listen to a Sam Harris podcast and the latest from Ryan Rosillo. I just fired it up on my podcast app on my iPhone and synced it to my car. It's just where the future of this business is going. It's been going that direction for a while. That's why I was interested to hear that Ryan had been podcasting for 10 years. Yeah, The smart ones have been doing that. And for me, it's been about four years now. So that's enough to have some skin in the game. But you know, in order to survive, you have to adapt. You have to adjust and change. And this is where the business is going. Now, there are plenty of models to indicate that radio is still a very strong spot for messaging and also building a business. Right. But I think that's going to start to dwindle. So the, the biggest thing is you can control what you want to listen to. Uh, who you want to listen to, because obviously the host is a big deal, and when you want to listen to it. You don't have to jump in your car and turn on 700 AM and listen to it all day and then suffer through commercials and then say, well, Spence didn't talk Utes today. Well, what a jerk. Okay, we'll fire up the pod and listen to whatever you want to listen to. It's the controlling of the content and therefore just choosing what you want to listen to, to me, is the most appealing thing about the way the business is going digitally. It's funny where you talk about... um everybody being angry because uh when i first started at mls and this is you know late 90s i think we only had 10 teams but the deputy commissioner sunil galati 
he used to say his job was not to make any one owner or team happy. Mm-hmm. It was to make everybody equally unhappy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it kind of goes back to what you said uh, about Monson. And and we used to talk about this in the early days of RSL. Like, you want people to have a visceral reaction. Sure. Whether it's love or hate, it's yep. okay. Yep. When people are dead in the water and neutral and just don't care and aren't paying attention, that's when you're absolutely screwed. No, 100%. So with those kinds of things in mind, and, and obviously tastes are changing, uh, mediums are changing, but how do you how do you break through the clutter? It's good. It's a good question. I, I mean, because that's I, where the toxicity of social media kind of comes into play. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, for me, a couple of things happened over the past year that really opened my eyes. Um, one of them was the election. One of them was um, just how polarized we are as a country. And then I would encourage everyone, if you haven't watched it, to watch the Social Dilemma. The uh, documentary that's on Netflix by yeah. Tristan Harris, and I, I started kind of taking more of a disconnected approach uh, to the social media stuff because, look, I, I mean, I don't know that there are many people in our market that receive more venom than I do, and some of it is by design because, like for instance, it's why BYU fans are perfect for me mm-hmm. because they are so emotional that all I have to do is go boop, <laughs> just poke, and then boom, it blows up. And I admit, a lot of times I do that intentionally. Like uh, two years ago, before the BYU-Utah game, I was watching with a buddy, and it was kind of a boring game. Utah was clearly a better team. In the second half, they just ran the ball down their throats. And as the game ended, um, I said, hey, you want, me to, you want me to make BYU fans dance? You want me to make them dance? Watch this. <laughs> so I just sent out a tweet, and it said uh, something along the lines of, if you're new here, here's what happens for the next 364 days from BYU fans. <laughs> and then I listed all the excuses that BYU fans like to list because they never lose, right? You're not supposed to lose right. if you're the Lord's team. It's the ref's fault or turnovers. All the excuses that all BYU <laughs> fans make, I listed them, and I hit send, and I said, give it like 30 seconds. We pulled up our phones. I had already had like 150 retweets, like 500 likes. I was trending in Utah wow. because of one tweet I sent out about BYU fans. So I admittedly poked the bear, but there was a survey that was done two years ago now by the NBA, and the, the question was, how many of you – a, have Twitter, B, use Twitter, and C, get your information from Twitter. Uh, the, the number as far as how many had Twitter was about 15%. The number was uh, as far as how many people use it and tweet was about 8%. Wow. The number of how many people use it to consume information is a little bit higher, but think about that. 8% of NBA fans have Twitter. Or excuse me, 8% of NBA fans use Twitter. So that means you're arguing with bots for, you know, yeah. most likely you're arguing with bots and you are existing in this echo chamber and it's not real life. Okay. It's and so, and, and, and the other thing that we've learned is, and this is as a result of the Tristan Harris podcast, you are building, you think you're building your brand on Twitter. You're just doing it for Jack Dorsey. It's his mm-hmm. company. It's, it doesn't belong to you at any point. They could come take it from you. Yeah. It's false currency. It doesn't mean anything. And then you read the stuff about Zuckerberg and the propaganda on Facebook. I've deleted Facebook. I don't use it anymore. Yeah, same. I still use Instagram because I like to see the pictures of my nieces and nephews. But A, it wasn't doing anything for me anyway. All I was hearing, I was just hearing from middle-aged white dudes who live in Utah County and cheer for BYU of what a piece of shit I am. So I don't need to hear that anymore. Yeah. And in addition to it, you realize that these companies are trying to get you to engage in order for their business model. And, th- and then the bots that people create when you learn about it, like these programs watch your feed. And as soon as you type a certain word, all these bots will come at you and they look like real people, yeah. but they are bots. And you are arguing and yelling at the clouds like the old dude from The Simpsons. 
So I finally realized, like, I'm just going to disconnect. I'm going to keep it because I send my workout on it. You know, yeah. I'll retweet the links to all the shows or whatever. But I don't look at my mentions. I have real high filters on them. The only people that I can see, if you tweet at me, are people that I follow. So the, the trolls, you know, the, I, I just ignore them. Yeah. Tony Jones was talking to me about this yesterday. He said, <laughs> I don't know how you would ignore all these trolls. I said, well, A, they might be bots. B, they're judgmental pricks that I don't want to deal with anyway. And C, it's better for my mental health if I don't deal with yeah. that. I like to exist in space where people are somewhat positive. Well, I'll, I'll apologize in advance for tagging you and all my uh, Denver Nuggets uh, theories. When I see your tweets, I respond <laughs> to you. Um, it's funny because I was listening to a really cool pod that Scott Van Pelt did with Duncan Robinson. Nice. And Duncan... You know, I didn't know who Duncan Robinson was until I saw him in the in the NBA bubble last summer, I guess, or whenever that was. Time is a construct, I sure, guess. Sure, sure, yeah. But, um, you know, I feel like Duncan is trying, him and his buddy are going down the same road that J.J. Redick has gone down yeah. very successfully, sure, I think. Yeah. Um, but Scott Van Pelt was talking about him, and I listen to Rosillo all the time as well. But the way you were just talking about BYU fans is how SVP – is talking about soccer fans. Yeah. Because soccer fans would attack him and Russillo for not talking about soccer, mm -hmm. but when they did talk about soccer, they didn't know enough and they weren't talking long enough, so they were just like, okay, well, I guess we're done trying, Yeah, so go have fun. SVP in his typically funny, sarcastic ways, like, go have fun on the pitch. Sure, yeah. But yeah. So I guess that kind of leads me to... My whole career in soccer, 25 years, we've not been um, graced, I guess I would say, with mainstream media coverage, sure, yeah, generally. Yeah. You know, we talked about New York earlier. When I was at the league, the now New York Red Bulls, then the Metro Stars, on their best day with Tab Ramos and Tony Miola, they were the ninth team that mattered yep. in, in, in the Metro area. Now, that's why one of the things I love about this market is Salt Lake, especially when we were good, and as David James always tells me, we got good when the jazz got bad, and that's how we were able to kind of establish relevance. But the internet has always been a soccer fan's talk radio. Yep. And so as the internet has changed, digital is moving a million miles an hour, um, if you go on my Twitter feed, you could find a really scary article about Facebook, as we just talked about, where the guy that basically programmed their AI and their machine learning on the algorithms effectively lost control and realizes now that everything we saw happening with Facebook and information in 2016 with the Russians in the election and 2017 and all the stuff, like, he feels guilty yeah. on it. And, mm -hmm. and anyway, we don't need to get into all that. But I, I'm just kind of fascinated because as we get into, okay, how are the stories going to be told? Mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we tell the story of um, you know, the RSL Academy kid that goes over to Europe, has a little bit of success, um, wants to come back to his family? And this is a big topic right now because the RSL Academy keeps churning out guy after guy after guy. They go over to Europe when they're 17 or 18, RSL fans are mad that they're not playing for the club mm -hmm. at the same time. And, uh, and this is part of the discussion I have with fans online is okay, but was Craig Weibel or now Elliot Falls supposed to give those guys $150,000 contract yeah, yeah. at the expense of 
I don't know, a Luke Mulholland or somebody who's a proven commodity at the highest level that the sport offers. Now, all those roster rules are changing. Anyway, I guess I'm kind of going round and round No, I understand here. what you're saying, though. But So I'm just fascinated with, okay, how do we get our information? How do we? How does quality journalism, quality punditry, to use a British term or opinion, how does it break through the bots and the and the and just the toxic BS? And yeah. like I'm addicted to Twitter mm-hmm. because I fell in love with Twitter and got all my information with Twitter at a time when you could have a conversation. Yeah. But those times are long, long, long yeah, gone. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe podcasts are the future um, for soccer fans. Well, a, a couple of things. Because first of all, I, I thought soccer fans were the worst until <laughs> in, until I really experienced the consistent venom from college football fans. I'm convinced college football fans are the worst. And, and by the worst- but it's all tribalism and fiefdoms, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, and, and, and look, admittedly, you know, with the theme of this Tristan Harris podcast and just learning ab- about all of the pitfalls and dangers of social, we all exist in an echo chamber. Yeah. Uh, and anecdotally, I'll tell you, my which take- is the opposite of what all this stuff was originally exactly. kind of thought and designed. Right. To do. But my takeaway from our election is that 74 million people voted for Donald Trump. It wasn't that he lost. It was yeah. that 74 million people voted for quite literally the most flawed candidate we've ever had in the history of our republic. And half our country voted for him. Right. And I've, I approached the election with a lot of uh, calmness because in my mind, I'm like, well, he's revealed himself for who he is, you know, not just as a person, but also his, his policies, the way he handled COVID, the, 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 the myriad of things he did to trip over his own feet. I'm like, all right, this is going to be a landslide. And so when it wasn't, yeah. I went, oh, that, that's a lesson for me. You know, maybe, maybe I'm in my own echo chamber a little bit. Right. But the thing, the thing with soccer fans that, that can be a little bit irritating is it's almost like they choose to be miserable. <laughs> it's almost like they choose to exist in this sad space because one of the other things I wanted to do coming back over on ESPN 700 is make soccer part of our daily conversation. Right. And so like a couple months back, I had Rob Stone on. And I think Rob thought we were going to talk college football. And we talked a little bit, but it was about 20 minutes of RSL and MLS. And at the end... As I was setting Rob loose, he said, isn't this wonderful that we can talk soccer on a daily sports talk radio show in 2020? It was at a time. So we couldn't do this back in the day. Well, the only reason we did it, Trey, is that I decided to do it. Sure. Because one of the other things that I've got to give Kayvon a lot of credit. By, by the way, Kayvon alone. Kayvon got me this, this opportunity. Uh, he's an amazing human being. But the other thing that I asked, I said, if you're going to give me four hours, I have to be the editorial associate director of yeah. the space. And I have to be able to do whatever I want to do. And he said... Absolutely, it's yours. So that's why I can have you on, yep. even if Andy Carroll doesn't want you on. I can say, <laughs> hey, Andy, you had a good run, pal, but Trey's coming on my show. I talk soccer on the daily, but for some reason, I'm not good enough for soccer fans. I don't know why. I never have huh. been. They, I, I mean, I've always been like their favorite target. At least that's the way I feel, yeah. dating all the way back to, I'll tell you a quick story. I think this was 2005 because we were still in trolley. And I didn't even know message boards were a thing. Yeah. And somebody forwarded me. I don't. I don't know what the message board. It was an RSL message board. And here, Trey, here's on how big soccer. It was a thread on big soccer. I, I don't know what it was, but here's how naive I was. Okay, my thought was a way to communicate with our fans. Awesome. I'm gonna try this. Yeah. So I got on and I typed something like, "Hey, this is great to see all these RSL fans. This is Spencer Checkets. Uh, if you have any questions, I would love to answer them or you know take them to someone who can get you an answer, whether it's Trey or Steve yeah. or my father, whatever." 
And I typed that. I'm like, oh, I'm such a nice guy. This will, <laughs> this will go well. And then within five minutes, it's silver spoon, mother effer, like wow. get off these. Me-. Like it was a lesson to me. Yeah. And I approached it in this naive, like rainbows and ponies way. Like I'll talk to our fans. This will be so fun. And they were horrific to me and still are. And I don't understand it because I'm on your side. <laughs> I'm trying to talk RSL. I don't have to do this RSL pod. Sure. I do four hours of radio a day. I'm gassed at the end of that thing. I don't have to down a Red Bull so I can talk for two more hours. Right. I'm doing it for the soccer community. And for whatever reason, I've always been their favorite redheaded stepchild to smack around. But how do you, how do you break through the noise to get to the information that is uh, most counter to what you're trying to consume? I don't think that's a problem for soccer fans because out of necessity, they've always had to get creative to find it. But I think that's changing. And I'm certainly trying to change it on a daily basis. What has surprised you or given you kind of the best feedback, hope, positive feedback on on your RSL philosophies on the daily, but also the the history of RSL pod that you and I and Dunning are doing? No, it's, it's a good question because honestly, I probably, as a result of, my historical context of really being abused online and some of it deserved because of mistakes I've made. I get it. But, um, you know, I probably fall in, in the space where I give these trolls too much credit. Like the day I had Deloitte on the show after he went on X 96, the feedback was either I was way too hard on him or way too soft on him. There was no winning. I talked to you about this. Like, and I tried to play the best lane I could, but, um, those clowns are, they seem to be the minority the feedback I get from people who I respect is they they love it. You know, we talked about um, Jim Avery yep. and, and what he sent along. And this is a hardened New York businessman that doesn't hand out compliments. And I still get notes from him every time we, we release one. Nice. It's like, you know, sitting around the campfire telling stories as we talked about. <laughs> um, I think most people are loving it. My family's loving it. Uh, the RSL fans that I know are, seem to really be enjoying it. Yep. And I shouldn't give these bloggers that have their own RSL podcast enough credit because they just want to abuse me online all the time. I really feel like the feedback for the most part has been good. Do you feel the same? Absolutely. No, I think, I, you know, much like what I hope this pod would do um, in other, you know, media entities that are out there outside the club is I think fans wanted a place to commiserate. They wanted a place to come together. They wanted a place to be reminded of what I think the heart and soul of this club is. And that's, and that's why I think, you know, you and I have both um, asked, you know, John Kimball to put himself out there a little mm-hmm. more. Um, you know, Dunny, I think, is always and has been since 2005 when he said, Trey, anything you need, I will do it. Mm-hmm. He's been the number one ambassador for this club, and he's got the credibility. And the fact that even with his daily Sirius XM show, that he takes so much time um, in season, out of season, whatever, to to communicate with fans on Twitter, on Instagram, on all the places he does. I just think he's he's a priceless um, cornerstone of what this club and this is in this community. Yeah. Um, Real quick on the Kimball yeah, thing, did yeah. you follow the online reaction? Like people are bummed that John didn't say more about Andy. People yes. are bummed that John didn't give out more information. It's like, well, what what are you supposed to do? Like, it's with some yeah. of these some of these losers. It's just simply a lose lose, and it gets really exhausting. No, it is exhausting, and you know, there I have to be careful because 
this is kind of a funny story. Like when I ran the RSL Twitter account for five or six years, from, you were the original, from right? 2010. Yeah. yeah. One of our marketing guys started it. And then I was like, let me just take over. Cause I want to, you know, I was kind of like you, I wanted to have that voice, not for personal reasons, but I wanted to be that conduit for the fans, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I wanted to share all my goofy stats that I was putting in the game notes and whatever. And else, I feel you know? that's kind of been lost since you left. That's that's from, a, again, 30,000. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's different now, right, on a lot of levels. And, and I think the club is operating on a little bit of a skeleton level. Hopefully they can get back um, to where we were on a lot of emotional and metaphysical and, and actual body count levels as yep. well. But it's funny because I used to get super defensive. And I, I think about now, 2014, 2015, when, when fans are just killing Kassar, right? Um, killing Weibel. And I would try to explain, like, you know, it's not just the little 10% myopic view that you have here. I'm going to provide this much perspective so that people can understand because access and education and transparency has always been my personal kind of PR philosophy. And I got this because I read Pete Rosell's autobiography. And Pete Rosell, for those who don't know, is the guy who was a PR guy for the LA Rams. Um, in the early, in the late 60s, became commissioner of the NFL on the 17th ballot. He was kind of like the only candidate that anybody could find a little bit of middle ground on mm. after two days of voting. Yep. But he's also the guy that created Monday Night Football and the guy that really empowered NFL films. And I just grew up like, okay, if you have everybody inside the ropes, like they have a bigger perspective. Yep. They understand. Mm -hmm. And look, the side benefit of that, like as I put my PR hat on is, Maybe you get a little bit of benefit of the doubt. You know, this country isn't sports media 50 years ago. They were all traveling with the players. They'd all go out boozing with the players, yeah. and none of that stuff would make the papers. At right. some point, that shifted, and yep. that relationship between athletes and clubs and media shifted. But anyway, I used to get super defensive. Sure, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, when people are attacking the club, and I'm like, okay, if you understand, here's how the league works, or here's how the roster rules, or here's – your salary cap decision. And and look, thankfully for me, Garth Lagerway used to spend a lot of time explaining this stuff and and really on a high kind of philosophical level, which I think helped us connect with our fans to show them how everything needed to work. But I remember one day Kyle Beckerman's like, dude, you got to just tone it down on Twitter, man. He's like, I don't want people scrolling through our Twitter feed in, in 50 years thinking that we're, um, you know, our, thin, our skin is too thin. Yep. And I'm like... 50 years, man. People right. don't scroll back on Twitter five minutes, right, right. which is part of the problem, right, too, right, is like right. just that whole lack of perspective. But anyway, I think back now, man, there's there's things I shared in DMs with random fans yeah. that if they had just taken a screenshot and then put that out, like I would have been probably fired. Yeah. You know? That's the new normal now. And, yeah. and again, that's, again, my intentions are good, and thankfully nobody flamed me. But anyway, I think we're we're trying to get back to a time now where- Look, there's a lot of uncertainty around the club. 2021 is still feels like a breath of fresh air. Yeah. So I guess as we as we kind of look ahead, but also with you kind of looking back with with your various projects, um, what what gives you what's kind of rekindled maybe your interest or your passion or your affinity uh, for the club that you know as you aff affectionately say. This you know this little, little engine soccer that could. club yeah, yeah yeah well a couple of different things first of all 
the the initial kind of re re you know reigniting the fire yeah was simply as a result of the man who owned my radio station also on the soccer yeah team, sure right and so every day I wanted to make sure that I was doing my job and making sure that Deloitte knows that I'm going to talk about the soccer club even though I hadn't been around it in a number of years and even though there are a lot of things that are still kind of tugging at the heartstrings and then once I kind of got in back into it those memories started coming back yeah. of creating the club and all of us being in this little office over a trolley rowing in the, in the <laughs> same direction, regardless of what our titles were. And, and all these great memories started coming back. And uh, I started reigniting conversations with old friends and you came back and, you know, talking to Jason and Garth and, yep. and, 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 and so that was, that was kind of the initial push when I came back on air is to make sure that the owner of my station knew that I was taking care of his club. Yeah. Um, and, and the other thing is I, I truly have grown to love the game of soccer. Right. Um, it will never overtake the meat and potatoes of American sports, how sure. I was raised with basketball and football and baseball across those sports. But um, I, I can sit down and, and watch an EPL game or watch a Bundesliga game and enjoy myself. I, I'm not there with MLS entirely yet, but you know this. The ratings are in. People watch soccer in our country. They don't necessarily watch MLS. Right. Ratings are strong for you know, European, Europa, Champions League. Mexican League gets Mexican the best League. ratings. Yeah. You know, World Cup obviously is through the roof. And I think if you're a fan of MLS, that gives you hope that if the league can continue to improve, maybe it'll start pulling better ratings because the, ba- the league badly needs a much better TV deal, as you know. Sure. So initially that was the motivation. But then I realized like, yeah, there still is a big part of me that loves this soccer club. There still is a big part of me that wants to, um, you know, kind of protect my father's legacy. I'm a proud son. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm proud of what my father has accomplished, and I'm not all that comfortable with the way certain people discussed the end of his tenure as mm-hmm. owner of RSL, and and so that's why I ask all of our guests, like, what was your relationship like with my dad? Like your first yeah. conversation with him when you were hired by the club, what was that? What was that like? And I thought John Kimball did a great job articulating that. Um, so again, the motivation was initially just doing my job for the guy that owned my station, and then once that fire was back. I was just thinking, like, how can I use my talents to help RSL fans out and help this club moving forward? Because after everything went down with Deloitte, for the first time, I felt, and you probably would be better um, articula- you know, articulating this than I, than I am, but I felt a tangible Eeyore cloud around RSL fans mm. and, and around RSL, period. Like, you read all of the negative things that were being said about the club as a result of what happened with Deloitte sure. and Andy Carroll and the culture. And it was like, that's not who RSL is. Right. That's not who we are. That wasn't part of our ethos to begin with. And maybe that's who RSL is right now, but it's not going to be who RSL will be moving forward. How can I help? And so that's, that's the motivation. That's why I'm trying to do these pods to remind RSL fans, Camelot was awesome and it can be awesome again. Let's just hold hold on for the ride for a minute. Well, and and it dovetails nicely because so much of what I'm fascinated by, the speed with which information moves, the social media world we live in. Look, we've all been sports fans a long time. We've all seen our teams go through dark days and reemerge. I think the most recent MLS example is you have to look at Columbus. I mean, three years ago, their owner moves basically to Austin with some clause that nobody knew about. And that team is dead in the water. And there's a grassroots fan base driven effort that gets the 
uh, Cleveland Browns owner family, the Haslam family, to buy in, and now they're opening a new stadium right now. Yep. So that's how quickly things can turn around. But certainly the last, I don't know, the six months between late August and um, you know this year, I think there has been that dark cloud over RSL fans that think, holy shit, this is who we are, this is what we are, and it's never going to get better. Yep. And I'm sorry to bring this up because I know you're a New York Knicks fan. I guess 20 years is a long time to wait for things to turn it around. It is indeed, yeah. But, like, I'm a Denver Broncos fan, right? And until uh, the Patriots the last five years, the Broncos had the best record in the NFL over a 30-year span. Yeah. But now, you know, Pat Bolin, the family patriarch who who unfortunately passed away right before he went into the Hall of Fame, he's got seven kids they are fighting over the team like these are dark days for the broncos like they've never had four losing seasons in a row and like i'm 50 years old like that's an amazing run but anyway i just i'm a glass half full guy even though as i my mom once described me as a defeated perfectionist which i think is is really accurate Mm -hmm. and really funny like i always want things to be perfect and i I obsess about the two percent that isn't perfect as opposed to enjoying the 98 that is really good i'm trying to get better at that by the way but anyway would you have more hope for the 2021 season and, and the direction that, that Elliot Fall is trying to take this club if you didn't routinely beat him in fantasy football every fall? Excellent question. Elliot is an awful fantasy football player. <laughs> I've beat him the past two years. And it's not even beating him, Trey. I've embarrassed him, like smashed him. But, you know, it's funny you bring up Elliot because I remember Elliot as this snot-nosed intern yep. back in like 2007 or whatever. Sure. Um, and, and now he's g- the general manager of the club which I think is a really cool story for Elliot. And that's another one of these things where it's like, man, there are still guys there, people there that I remember. There's still people that, you know, that, that are at the club that were there when it was great. Yeah. And so they can make it great again with a couple of right decisions. That's the other thing. This isn't brain surgery. Go find some guys that can play. Make sure you have guys in the right seat and let's go. You yeah. know, uh, We have a beautiful stadium. It, in my estimation, I don't know there's a soccer-specific stadium in the country it's quite like Rio Tinto Stadium. Now, I've not gone on an, M- on an MLS tour. Maybe at some point I'll do that. Yeah, the new the new stadium for LAFC is pretty special. They've got a nice little viewfinder through mm-hmm. the corner of the stadium to downtown LA, which nice. LA has its warts for sure. But you know, at night, the way downtown kind of lights up. Sure, is yeah, yeah. Um, I'm glad you brought up the stadium because I wanted to ask. But let me just finish sorry, that point. Sorry. The, and, and then, but remember what you're about to say. Like all of the elements are in place for success. Yeah. It just needs a little bit of a alchemist type personal legend push in the right direction, sure. and then I think this thing can start ticking again for sure. Well, maybe Bobby Wood, maybe Anderson Julio, maybe Demir Krylock, maybe uh, Aaron Herrera and Justin Glad, who sure. you know are going to be those guys. David Ochoa, like it is a it is a new era for the club. What was it like going back to the stadium for the first time after? Um, you had kind of been out, and after your family was out of RSL, a lot harder than I thought. And it was when be. when was this? So you know what? I've actually got a picture on my Instagram because it was it was Connor and I because Connor didn't want to go to games for a long time, and I understood um, even at that age. So I want to say it was like 2015, okay, ish. Let me pull up this picture real quick. Yep, 2000. Which was the worst on-field season the club had had in a long time. Yeah, it was 2015. We hadn't, I hadn't been in four years. Connor hadn't been in a couple of years, and you know, it's uh, it's interesting from Connor's vantage point. You know, being up there in the in the owner's box, being able to run around and yeah. kick a soccer ball with his friends, and 
Maddie Rader got us a couple of tickets. They were great seats, but they were, you know, we were just sitting with the rest of the fans, which was kind of fun for me. Yeah. But I think Connor was kind of looking around and going, oh, this is a different experience. Yeah. Uh, he had a flannel shirt on. I just had a sweatshirt. We didn't wear RSL gear. Yeah. I just, you know, I had him for a weekend and wanted to do something fun. So we went back out. So it's, it's a combination, I would say, of a number of different things because I have a tremendous amount of pride that my dad did that. I use this line quite a bit. Most, most guys, you know, when their dad says they're going to build something, they build a deck or a fence. <laughs> right. My dad built a soccer team in a stadium, and I think that's pretty damn cool. So, like, even on, on the way out here, I drove by 90th, yeah. looked left, and there it is. And I'm like, yeah. he did it. My name's on one of the beams. I signed it. I know you yep, did, too. That's sure. awesome. Yeah. But going back there, and a lot of it is the, the tie between father and son. You know, that was my connector to my son when I was going through a really difficult time, not being able to see him as much as I wanted yeah. to. And he became a really good soccer player. He played, played varsity for Bountiful as okay. a result of watching Nick and Kyle yeah. and Wingert and these guys. And, um, but even Connor, there was more of like a docile um, energy from him as opposed to when he was there prior to, and he would scream at the refs just like we would. <laughs> you probably remember looking up in the box and seeing me and my little brothers, you know, MF and some ref or probably Benny Fellhaber or whatever. Yep, yep. Um, and Connor saw that, so he would get attention. <laughs> when we lost CONCACAF, I have this great picture. In fact, I'm, I'm going to show it to you. Um, this was after the CONCACAF game. Oh. And, that, and you remember, that yeah. was just like, come on. That was, that was such a heartbreaking loss. Um, I will find this. Oh, there you go. So look at that. All right, so this is the picture right after we lost um, the CONCACAF game. Everyone was emotional. Everyone was in tears. And this is Connor with my father. Oh, he, wow. he jumped in his grandpa's arms crying. And Frank Layden in the background making it's an amazing. appearance too. What an so, amazing so, picture. So this club, you have to understand, it's different when it's your kid. Sure. It, 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 I, I can compartmentalize it because you have to understand, when I was 10, the news came down that my father's leaving the Jazz and we're moving. Ironically enough, we thought we were moving to Denver. I don't know if you know that I, story. No, I do. I remember seeing Center, and that your dad was going to go be president of the Nuggets. Yep. And, and Bertram and Bino were the owners Correct. for like six weeks maybe. And as a, I only knew it because I was a Nuggets fan. So that was actually the first time I think I had heard your dad's name outside of Nick's Madison Square Garden. Yeah, so apparently those two just pulled off some ruse. Like, they didn't have near the money they said they did, and so that fell apart. But when I was a boy, like my son, and maybe this is why it hurt so bad. I, I don't know if we want to go Dr. Phil into this today, yeah. but when I was his age, we left. And I loved Salt Lake City when I was a kid. Yeah. I mean, it's home now and has been, but I love it here. And I was ripped away from my friends and family in school because we were moving at the age of 10 and I couldn't really cheer for the jazz anymore. And then we end up in New York and then it's the Knicks and the Rangers. And I love the Knicks, love the Rangers. And then a number of years later, ironically enough, I'm back out here going to the University of Utah. I get a phone call from my father. He said, I'm leaving the garden. And I went, why would you leave Madison Square Garden? Not knowing the stuff with Dolan, yeah. right? So then he left the garden. And so can I cheer for the Knicks anymore? The Rangers too? Like, I yeah. can compartmentalize that as an adult, but when you're eight, nine, ten sure. years old, it's life and death. So watching how sad he was mm. made it really hard for me, A, to leave, and B, to ever come back. But now that there's been some space, and now that he's a, a grown man, he's turning 20, I'm pumped for the stadium to open up this summer. I want to go to some games, if we're allowed to, and if it's safe. I'm excited to be back at Rio Tinto Stadium. A summer night at Rio Tinto Stadium, oh, it's, it's the among the best things we have in the state to do, even if you're not a soccer fan. 
What um what do what do Connor's friends at Bountiful High School, the soccer players and the others, what do how do they feel about RSL? Love RSL. That was another source of pride when I would go around to like even before Connor played varsity at Bountiful, he was with a number of different clubs growing up. He's a good player. And yeah. so, you know, we would go all over the state and sometimes out of state to watch his club teams play. And every time I saw an RSL shirt or an RSL hat, I just would go, I can't believe my father pulled this off. Like people really do love this club. Yeah. And I would start watching out for it, like RSL soccer balls or whatever it is. I really think the community here for the most part has fallen in love with RSL and still has some of that love. But I do think the luster needs to be brought back a little bit. And is it as simple as putting a good product on the field? Because it's the biggest thing. This is all happening when, you know, the Jazz have the best team they've had in 25 years almost. Yeah. Um, you know, people sting still because the Royals are gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard you talk about, you know, how some members of your family, how much they love the Royals. Yep. I will never understand how the NWSL walks away from 10,000 fans a game. I guess I understand it a little more now than I did three months ago because as the inertia maybe of the or the hiatus in between the old ownership group and then whatever the new ownership group is, maybe that's just too much for the NWSL to stomach. Mm-hmm. But um I think we'll get it back. When the option is there, I think yeah, we'll get it back. Yeah, I think we have to. I hope so. Um so you think, you know, and again, you've seen a lot of sports, you've seen it up close. Very unique perspective, uh, as you just talked about in your time um, in New York, being around those two. I mean, the, the mid-90s Knicks and Rangers were yeah. just unbelievable. Number one, Trey, is getting a good team. Yeah. It's number one. Okay. Do you agree? I, I, I mean, that's it's funny, man, because one of the reasons I moved to Utah and left a job I loved at, at, at the league was because you didn't have that visceral pull that wins and losses and players and coaches and fans give you mm-hmm. games you know the competitive when i was at the league you know we i joke we cheered for tv ratings and attendance and sponsorship deals uh, you know yeah, yeah. and you're just so disconnected from the game and you know i'm a pretty emotional guy so to come here to build this to be a part a small part of building it from scratch um and just every week thinking okay every saturday morning i'd be so excited for game day like yeah. we're gonna win yep and we're going to go on a run, and we're going to do this. And, like, you know, so much of those early years, it, was, it wasn't just about the three points. It was about establishing a foothold in this market, a legitimacy for the sport, ultimately trying to build a stadium, and then taking advantage of the permanence that that stadium gave this club. Yeah. And, and you look, I mean, it's still, I don't know how to say this. There's a big part of me that feels like Rail Salt Lake is my baby. And I've dedicated my adult life to this club. But at the same time, here we are going into the 2021 season. It's only the 17th season yeah. mm-hmm. for this club. Like, that's less than a generation. Yep. So, I don't know, man. And I, I said this the other night. If you look at what this club has, infrastructure, people, even if you look at the roster right now, and there's some there's some names that are coming in, that hopefully will get announced by the time this pod airs, but Bobby Wood, Anderson Julio, I know there's a, a rumored center back. There's some other wingers, but you know, you look at Demir and Albert, got five RSL Academy kids on the Olympic team that's coached by Jason Christ right now. Yep. Um, Pablo Ruiz, Everton Luis, Donnie Toya, who was, is funny, he was our first ever homegrown player, but we signed him at a time when there's no way a 
Garth and Jason were going to play a 16-year-old. We didn't have the monarch, so there was no way to develop him. But he finds his way back, you know, to Utah eight years later or whatever it was. So um, I'm optimistic, and yeah. I, th- I think this is a parody-driven league. It's not, it's not like the you know a lot of the soccer leagues around the world where you know that you've got six teams playing for four spots to go to Champions League every year. Sure, and and one of the things I want to make clear for anyone who would listen to this and also listens to the historical pod on the reality check space. I'm very aware it's a much different league now than it was in 2009. Yeah. And that model we used to build that team uh, that ultimately won the cup is dated. Um, and whoever comes in to buy this club, I'm fully aware they need to be uh, willing to lose probably a number of different millions of dollars, not just a few. Um, and that's that's a different thing. That's a different ask for an owner. Uh, it's I, And I don't know that that's something that Deloitte was all that interested in. And, and um, you know, I, the reason I bring up the success on the field is that in our market, it's a little bit different because we just have this thing where we are so defensive and we yeah. have this inferiority complex that I find to be exhausting and unnecessary. I love it here. I'll stand up for this place till I'm blue in the face. Sure. And I don't care if someone from Los Angeles doesn't give us enough love. But beating a team with Landon Donovan and David Beckham on it mattered to people here in our market, even if they weren't soccer fans. It's like, RSL went up and beat that team, that superstar team from Los Angeles. That's really cool, you know. And they're ours, yep. you know. Even if you don't like soccer, they're ours. Um, there are people that will support RSL regardless of the record. There are season ticket holders that will just show up. There are sponsorships that will be signed no matter what. But to take that next step, to find that next solution, as Deloy likes to say, winning is going to help a yeah. lot. And also. Look, I can give you a list of hundreds of people that are very kind and very nice that couldn't keep their jobs in sports because their team lost. If Elliot wants to keep his job, they got to win. Yeah. If Freddie Juarez wants to keep his job, they got to win. And if if they win, they can stay. If they lose, they got to go. That's just how this goes. So if you care about the current iteration of the RSL front office, you want them to succeed on the field as well. But it gives this innate credibility that matters here more so than any other spot. I mean, after Mike Conley finished second in the three-point contest, I can't tell you how many tweets I saw like, oh, Utah again, bridesmaid, never the bride. (laughs) It's a three-point contest. (laughs) Chill out, man. You know, like we want to be accepted nationwide so badly because there is this thing when it comes to the way Utah is viewed outside of Utah. People think we're weird, man. And I didn't know that until I moved. Yeah. And then the way people treated me as one of the only Mormon kids in a Catholic private middle school in, in, uh, in Southern Connecticut. And that's when I learned like, yeah, people do think Utahns are weird. And quite frankly, some of it's earned with the historical stuff and yeah. oddities of the church historical context, like Murder Amongst the Mormons, yeah. that documentary. Just How yeah. many Utah archetypes were in that, yeah. you know? And that's why people think we're odd. And if we win at a high level, there's an acceptance that people around here really crave. And so that's why I view it uh, as, as certainly a top priority. The other top priority is just bringing some of that luster back to the badge. If you think that's cheesy, sorry but community relations to help people understand that we are trying to change the culture over here. Maybe it was a cesspool of misogyny and xenophobia or whatever people think it is. It doesn't have to always be that way. So it's a combination of on-field results and rebuilding a culture that was once very proud. Yeah, and winning in sports, man. Winning is the thing that covers up every warts, yep. and it's the one thing you can't control. You can you can do everything. It, like you said before, it's alchemy. You know, You can do everything the right way with... The salary cap and the depth and the scouting and the blah, 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 the tactics, but either it comes together or it doesn't. What do you think about Freddie? What do you think about Freddie? I think Freddie is a master tactician. Okay. I think he's 
um, spent the majority of his career managing younger teams. So um, I think he's a amazing human being, and I think there's what, no doubt about what that. he's being tested on right now is um, leading a group of men. And and yeah, this team is younger, but that's the crazy thing. If you look at almost any sport now, you've got a locker room that has eighteen year olds and has thirty six year olds and I never appreciated that that dynamic or that gap before where um you know you've got guys that are going out and partying you've got guys that are finishing puberty and you've got guys that have um you know toddlers and and older you know kids at home you know that's just such a different yeah. dynamic and, and as we learned from Jamie Watson guys that are finishing puberty and partying <laughs> and Christian Jimenez precisely um who's whose decision was it to bring Pablo on as assistant coach? Um, I think it was Freddie's. Okay. I, I think there were other voices in okay. the room, but I think, um, I and actually I think Tony Beltran had a lot to do with it because Tony played for Freddie in the All-Star game. I'm sorry, played for Pablo in the All-Star game in Denver which must have been 2016. Because I, I think the natural reaction for folks has been contingency plan at the assistant coaching level. Sure. Should it not work out for Freddie. Yeah, I think that is, that's definitely the narrative, much like it was when Pecky was hired at the Monarchs. Everybody's like, oh, this is a, this is a safety net for Kassar. Tell me what Pecky was like, because again, remember, yeah. I left 2011, sure. 30,000 feet. We did interview him once. You actually... Because I remember you would hit me up occasionally, like, yeah. "Hey, can we get someone on uh, on the big show?" And yeah. I, I would either ask for Deloy, and I said, "You can give me Deloy, but I'm gonna ask him whatever I want." And you're like, "We're not doing that." <laughs> um, and, and we got Petke once, and I interviewed him one time, and he seemed impressive, yeah, for, at least I, in one interview. I was a big Mike Pecky fan um, for a few reasons. The time that I was in New York, he was a player, and I was at the league, so I kind of knew him from just going to a bunch of those games. His then-girlfriend, now-wife, Kim, was a colleague of mine at the league office. That's how they met. So, um, And then my one of the women that worked with me in the PR group was Kim's best friend. So you know, we'd go out in Hoboken after games and have a few beers or have a dinner or whatever. Um, shout out to the uh, Qdoba in Hoboken where he used to hang out with Richard Jefferson. Little-known story. With RJ. Yeah, when yeah. he played for the Nets. But anyway... Um, so when Mike was hired, I mean, I got on the phone with him, and he's like, dude, what's Utah like? And he didn't know. He'd sure. never really been here sure, yeah, other yeah. than to play a game here or there. So um, Mike and I were, I think, pretty close. I, I really liked Mike. I, I like, you know, he wears his emotions on his sleeve. Um, incredibly hard worker, obsessive personality. Um, my view from the outside, and, you know, Mike was one of the first people that I told back in that whatever august september of 2018 like i just can't i can't deal with this anymore but um my view from the outside was that mike kind of combusted from carrying what he felt was the weight of the organization okay um because of some of the front office culture and the other things that were bubbling to the surface so um, I wish Mike nothing but the best. I don't know where he's going to resurface. You know, he's had gigs prior to him coaching here. He was on Sirius XM with Dunny and Miola. He was one of those rotating cast of characters. Um, so, you know, look, his whole 
the thing that he got suspended for with the uh, with the uh, Spanish language slur. That's not who he is. Yeah. Um, His players stood up for him too. Yeah. The ones I had on my yeah, show. Yeah. So, you know, look from a from a PR standpoint, from a media guy standpoint, he was the kind of coach you just love to yeah. have. Um, it became increasingly difficult to get him to do some of the things that I think I wanted him to go do, um, to be the face of the franchise, yeah. if you will. But um, him and Dunny together on that KSL show that we had was amazing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just uh, I, I wasn't here when it all kind of went sideways. So I've heard Weibel's version of it. I've heard other people's version of it. Well, real quick, I mean, coaches are lunatics. Even, yeah. Even the greatest coaches are lunatics. And there's something maniacal about Jason, Jason Christ. Sure, 100%. And so if that's who Mike was, I don't really have an issue with it. I think the, the complicated stuff is, and I don't have any context or frame of reference for what happened. I know there are different interpretations for the word he used. If you're going to be a soccer coach, you can't be thought of as a racist by the Latino community. No. Just like in the NBA, if you're... You know, when the Donald Sterling stuff came out, and look, that's a bad example, but if you're thought to be a racist towards African-American folks, you can't work in the NBA. You know what I mean? So yeah. right, wrong, or indifferent, when that went down, I, I, I you know, I, I, that was my whole thing. Like, well, if this is something that will reverberate among the Latino community, then Mike probably has to go. But yeah. I, don't, I don't have enough context. Well, and I don't, I don't recall how the community, either locally or nationally, reacted Yeah, neither to do that. I. I yeah. um, just while we're on that, what are your thoughts on the $50,000 fine and one-week suspension for Myers Leonard? Well, his apology was bullshit. Yep. I mean, don't he's a 30-year-old man. Don't say you don't know what the term means. Right. You know, maybe, uh, you know, apologize for the insensitive situation, you know, the sure. insensitive comments. But what he said was blatantly racist and very hurtful. Now, you and I have talked about this. I do think there are uh, people that deserve to be canceled. And I do think the progress we've made with race relations as a result of the awareness after George Floyd, George Floyd's murder yeah. is important. And I think it needs to continue. But when it like I read this article the other day that the guitarist from Mumford and Sons yeah. has to leave the band because he read a book from an author that, you know, folks on the left believe to be this fat. And I don't know anything about the author outside of just the reputation of who he is. And yeah. I'm sure he's a bad dude. All the things we're supposed to say. But the thought police, man, like he read a book yeah. and now he has to leave the band because folks don't, you know, agree with the uh, the vitriol that this, you know, certain writer yeah. decided my, to spew. My view of his tweet was that he was recommending the book, but I haven't done enough homework to actually. The tweet was something along the lines of congratulations, brave topic, because it was all about Antifa or okay. whatever. Okay. But like, let's have a conversation yeah. about why that might be incorrect as opposed to saying you have to leave your band. But. I will take away your livelihood as a result of your ignorance is a really dangerous precedent to set. Absolutely. And um, that's a good place for us to end. I think I think later this year we'll have you back. We'll talk soccer and, and more uh, RSL memories, both past and present. But I just uh, I love the way you engage people on a human level. Appreciate that. Um, both daily and in your pod. And I think as we've talked about today with cancel culture, with the social media toxicity, with actually how amazing it is that 8% of people on Twitter can drive things like we've just right. talked about. Um, I love what you're doing with the space. I appreciate, you know, you kind of leading me into this space in a lot of ways. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to be back home in Utah and I can't wait uh, to keep 
keep doing the things uh, with RSL and with you. Thanks, man. I mean, we badly need to find a way to unify. And that's the last thing I'll say. We badly need to find a way to come together because it still feels like there's polarization and that might exist regardless of who's in the White House. But I love RSL. I always have. I'm pumped to be back. I can't wait to go watch some games. I love that you're back on the ground. We're playing Bonnie coming up on Saturday and be good to each other, you know? Nice. Be good to yourself. Be good to each other. So thanks for having me, and shout out to Ryan, because this place is awesome. Yeah, Ryan's the best. Good stuff, Super man. producer. Thanks, bro. All right, thanks. All right, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to connect with us, please do on social media, at Claret Cobalt on Twitter, at Claret Cobalt on Instagram. We're always up for your thoughts, a little banter, corrections and omissions your guest suggestions your favorite rsl memories or whatever uh we do also have the opportunity for you to reach out to us through the message button at anchor.fm slash claret and cobalt or via email rsltray at gmail.com this show is produced independently by trey fitzgerald and mountaineer media recorded at Mountaineer Studios in Draper, Utah. The views expressed here on this show are our own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions or positions of Real Salt Lake. Please download, rate, share, subscribe, and provide those comments. Thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you very soon.